welcome to C to Scale, where we take a behind-the-scenes look at all things venture capital. And today, it's our pleasure to welcome Shane Hatton, a culture specialist when it comes to building businesses um, and advising companies about how to cultivate a powerful and a culture which is aligned to your ultimately the business outcome and business objectives. Today, we're going to focus on such an important topic. It's so important when we're talking to companies and when we're investing in companies that culture is is essentially how business gets done here. And the founders of these companies, which we get to work with closely, it's really important they get it right from the start because undoing it or unwinding culture can be an absolute nightmare. So. Thanks for joining us in this conversation. It's my pleasure to introduce Shane, and so let's dive straight in. Shane, thanks for being with us. And where I'd love to start today is about this buzzword, world-class culture, buzzwords perhaps. Uh, everyone kind of bangs on about it. Let's create a world-class culture. But I think it's it's so different depending on the industry, depending on the business, depending on what you're trying to execute or achieve, right? So tell us, when you talk about world-class culture, what are you, what are you talking about? I like that question because I think world-class is subjective. In the same way, someone would listen to a presentation and go, was that a good presentation or a bad presentation? You'd go, well, I think it was great. Another person might think it was awful. So I think (laughs) there's a real lack of benchmarking in world-class, right? Exactly. I I would suggest world-class is that sense of pride that you feel in the culture that you're building. And so when someone asks you, do you love the culture you're a part of? That's what I mean when I say I create world-class. I don't think it's about creating world-class in terms of benchmarking against other cultures. Because if you were to take something from one culture and translate that to a different culture, it doesn't translate. So if you take something from education and go, great, we're going to put something from education to the military context or vice versa, take something from military and put it into education, what's healthy in one culture can be highly dysfunctional in another so for me it's a sense of i feel a sense of pride in the in the in the world-class culture that we're building oh yeah so is it pride and not performance oh look it can be both i think as a manager who's leading a team culture what do you really want you want both performance and you want to feel actually proud of the team that you're leading oh yeah yeah because i think it's i always always find culture is a really interesting one right because i'm intrigued to know what's your perspective like what what are like the expectations people should have because i think it's an interesting one, right? Especially if you think about middle managers. Often, unless you've been blessed with having a really good boss, you kind of don't really know what's possible. You kind of just know what you grew up in, right? And it's only by kind of reading, like you say, you might read the military novel or something and get an insight. Oh, that's an oh, the Navy SEALs. That sounds awesome. But like you say, it's certainly not relevant for um, you know, holding on to really cold, heavy logs in an education context. It'd be kind of weird. Yeah. Super weird. But tell me, so- what do you think, what's possible in this space? Do you think, well, what, I know you've just completed some research. What could be achieved in a cultural context or in cultures in, in organizations? Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. There's two questions we, we have to ask to understand this. The first is, what the hell is culture? Like, if you really want to have a conversation about culture, yeah. you have to understand what we actually mean when we talk about culture. And one of the things that we did is we, we ran a research project. We studied a thousand Australian managers and we asked them a whole bunch of questions. And one of those questions is, do you know what culture is? 99% said, yeah, we do. And then when we asked them the question, well, what is culture? And we asked them to define it. One in 10 could give us a consistent answer of what culture actually is. And when we looked at those one in 10, those definitions were very similar. And I was like, hey, they're almost a little bit too similar in my mind. And so I, I jumped online. I, I just quickly put into Google, define organizational culture. <laughs> and naturally the people, the definition people gave us was the one in 10 was the definition they found on Google. So I think 
illustrated this idea that a lot of people don't understand what culture is. Yeah. And then the second thing is we asked is, do you think culture is important to organizational success? And 99% said, we think it's critical to organizational success. And we said, where? And they said, psychological safety, trust, employee engagement, employee retention, employee attraction, uh, physical safety, all of the kind of benefits that came to a business came through culture. But people really struggled to define exactly what the hell culture is. Interesting. So enlighten us, Shane. What the hell are we talking about? <laughs> it's a good question. I think it's an important first question. I think yeah. the reason why culture feel, can feel so complicated is it often feels very intangible. It feels very ethereal and very abstract. And the reason why it's so hard to define is because right now there is no universal definition or understanding of what culture is. We all don't have the same picture, but I think of all the definitions that there are out there, they have some very common themes. And those four themes are really important to understand. So the four themes that culture have in common is one, culture always refers to a collective group of people. Like we don't talk about culture referring to an individual. It's always a group. It's the sum average of a group. The second is that culture is made up of a whole lot of unseen elements. There are things you can't touch, see, but they influence culture. Things like your beliefs, your values, your meanings, your assumptions, they're all unseen elements that influence your culture. The third is that culture always has some kind of tangible, observable element, meaning we talk about policies, systems, behaviors, practices, the things that we do. And then the final thing is that culture is learned from one another. So every definition always talks about culture as being something that we learn. So if you think about that as the themes, that helps us understand what culture is. Culture is essentially the way we show up into a team and observe kind of what's taking place in a team to try and make sense of the things that we can't see in the team, like their beliefs, their values. And then we learn from those things to adopt our behaviors in order to be able to fit within the collective environment. Okay. There's a bit in that, right? So there's a, there's a lot in that. <laughs> I guess one of the most succinct ways I've heard culture talked about is basically it's how work gets done here or how things yeah. get here. And yeah. I think it's really interesting that because there's so much chat about culture often and then actually how it actually works. And I think you see this a lot when you hire or get hired or go into a new business, right, or whatever. And on their seek blurb, it's about blah, 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 high performance culture, yeah, flexible. Blah, blah. You get there and it's like, whoa, this is totally different. And it's like, feels super, yeah, it's almost like it's a farce. And often, I feel like leaders in organizations don't actually know either their culture. Is that what you find? You find it like, there's like what they say and then actually what they get, what they do? It's always one of the biggest challenges for every, anyone joining a team is, is there alignment between our walk and our talk? Is there an alignment between who we say and we who we espouse to be and who we actually are? And one of the things I'll often say is that culture is averages, not aspirations. And what I mean by that is that culture, regardless of your aspirations, will always be the sum average of the way that we do things in our organization or on our team. So if you think about a team, if you've got 10 people on the team and you join the team and seven of those 10 people are empowering, encouraging, optimistic, you would generally say, our team is encouraging and empowering and optimistic. Flip those numbers and you say, our team is generally pessimistic. <laughs> it's disempowering. It's micromanaging. But three people on that team are quite you know, optimistic and encouraging. You would generally say, no, our culture is disempowering and micromanaging. And so it's the average of the team. That's it's not to say that you can't have an aspiration for your team to be optimistic, empowering, and encouraging. But the averages and aspirations definitely create sometimes that misalignment between who we espouse to be and who we want to be and then who we actually are day to day. So it's really interesting from a, if you are a middle manager, right? I know that's where you focused your efforts, especially around your most recent book, Let's Talk About Culture, is that a lot of middle managers would say it's the culture is set at the top. Yeah. Now, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Here's, here's, 
actually one of the questions we asked on the on in our research was who's responsible for culture and if you look at the organizational structure the way it comes down the responsibility according to middle managers and the people who are the, really the on the front line of the workforce it cascades down so they would say who's responsible for setting the culture the ceo the organizational leader they're responsible for setting it who's responsible for leading it the c suite in the executive team, that's who's responsible for leading it. And then the next three were who's responsible for communicating it, living it out day to day, and then addressing all the cultural inconsistencies. And for them, it was that middle layer of the organization. And so one of the problems and the challenges we found for middle managers is that there was this belief that, well, culture is so much out of our hands in order in order to be able to set the tone of our culture. And in one sense, there's an element that culture needs to be led from the top. But so much of what's involved in designing and building and leading out culture is in those three core areas of communicating the culture every day, living it out and addressing all those cultural inconsistencies. So yes, it is led from the top, but it's also empowered to lead at every layer in the organization. Well, arguably implementation is at every level in some regard, right? Yes. um, Yeah. I I think I actually really feel for middle managers. I feel like they have a really tough gig because they're actually at the coalface often of like there's the the gap between the aspiration versus the like the present almost and they're having to juggle juggle that usually in a very unsupported not necessarily highly trained (laughs) and and then one and people often wonder why it falls over is that what you found kind of research wise especially i imagine if you've got one in ten who are googling an answer to culture that would mean nine out of ten don't even matter use google or or really clutching its straws more broadly would that would that be right yeah. Well, we asked how confident do you feel about building a great culture and 3% of the middle managers told us they felt completely confident to build great culture. Wow. It was such a small percentage, but we asked them, you know, who's, we asked the question, I think it was how much time are you spending on building culture or how important is culture to your role? And 86% said culture is one of, if not the most important parts of their job. So there's this discrepancy between, I know it's really important. I know I should be doing a lot more on it, but I just don't feel confident to know how to do that. And the middle manager is an interesting role because if you think about an executive leader, a senior leader in a business, they kind of, you know, maybe a CEO touches 10 to 12 people as a, you know, regular touch point. Then your C-suite might touch 10 to 12 people, but you've got a manager who's leading 10 to 12 people, but also is leading up to 10 to 12 people. And they're kind of touching lots of people within the business. So if you're going to influence the culture of an organization collectively, your middle managers are some of the most important people to be able to get on board with this. So talk us through how you've then translated this into practical, right? So and I mean, what, I'd love to know what parts of the research had you conclude the specific conversations that you talk about like actually having in the in the in the organization yeah so i think a lot of the conversations i think about them as almost levers to pull on so to understand what culture is i think that's why we have to start there is because when we know what culture is we know some of the levers that we can pull on to be able to create culture by choice rather than leaving up to chance and some people this is the challenge about culture sometimes you'll have a really good culture and you've done nothing about it and Sometimes I think that's just because you hire really great people who feel really aligned and they've got really good, you know, I guess they bring really great contribution to the culture and you get a really good culture. And someone's like, well, I've got culture. I didn't do anything. I kind of created it by chance. Also, you can have the opposite effect. You can have you know, bring people into an organization. It can be absolute chaos. 
And so if you look at the definition of culture or those themes that exist within culture, they give us some clues as to how we can change culture. So for example, let's look at one of those definitions of culture, those themes. The theme is that culture has an unseen element to it. So culture has this this underlying element of values and meanings and and assumptions and beliefs. You can't see them, touch them, feel them, but they're influencing the culture of your team every day. So if it has an unseen element to it, we need to find a way of making those unseen elements more observable or more more seen. So one of the ways we talk about that in, in is to have an expectation conversation. And expectations, just this internal guiding principles and operating systems that we have for our life that we use to govern our own life and also judge other people against. And so when we show up into a job or into a role, we have these unspoken expectations. And I'll give you a good example of one. I was at a conference and I I said to the team, like, what are some of your expectations? And one lady said, well, I expect that when someone goes to the tea room for morning tea, they would make me a cup of tea whilst they're making themselves a cup of tea. And I paused for a moment. I said, what's that about for you? And she just said, collaboration. (laughs) And I just thought that's the first time I've ever heard someone say something like that. But what I loved about that experience is that every time someone would go to the morning tea room and make a cup of tea and walk past her without one for her, internally, she was getting frustrated and it was annoying her. And I was like, you had an expectation of somebody else that was never seen, never observed, never spoken about. And as a result, it was creating this disconnect and and disdain within you. So, expectations is probably the most fundamental place to start for a team is to go ask this question. What in, what on earth do we actually expect of one another on this team? Interesting. So I think it's um, it's like critical in a marriage as well. And that's what I'm thinking about in it's terms of- It's a relationship. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's, um, it's a confronting conversation to have, isn't it? Because I think there's also yeah. the stated expectation then is actually the question is, I'm, I'm wondering whether that's the next bit, is whether- the team agree to go and get that lady a drink. Otherwise, she could end up with like five cups of tea on her desk. (laughs) So how do you translate or how do you help people navigate that from a stated expectation? Because often people, we have expectations when we go to a cafe and if they're not quite met, then that can be, you know, it can cause a bad review. So how do you translate expectations or stated expectations into actual, okay, well, here's what we're almost like committing to. Yeah. So I think expectations is a place to start. It's not a place to end. And and part of the expectation conversation is designed to, number one, name them. So most of the time when you have these expectations, they're internal. So you've never said them out loud before. So if you say out loud, I expect you to get a cup of tea for me when you go to the morning tea room. Almost instantly when you say that out loud, you go, oh, okay, maybe I don't really expect that of you. So it allows you to frame it as an expectation, but then it allows you as a team to challenge some of those expectations and go, okay, is this a helpful or an unhelpful expectation to hold? And one of two things will happen. You'll either collectively agree, yes, this is a good expectation. So the expectation example might be we're in a team meeting. We have an expectation that everybody has the opportunity to be heard in our meetings. Is that a collective expectation that we can all hold together? Yes, absolutely. So this is a good thing. So then now what do we do with that? Okay, so for us now, we need to identify of all the expectations we have of a t- as a team, what are some of the themes that they all have in common? Like how do all of our expectations align? And I think this is part of building great culture is culture is about how do we find how our expectations have commonality. So, for example, we we realize that a lot of these expectations have to do with the way that we communicate as a team or the way that we connect as a team. And we, we start to kind of imagine some of those kind of core themes. And often this is where organizations get values. So, you've got organization values like trust and honesty and respect and all those things that people hate, right? 
the whole idea of values is that values are abstract enough that they incorporate everybody's sets of expectations. But the problem with values is that they're too abstract to know how you live them out every single day. And that's why we need to have a clarification conversation with the team. So that all sounds good in theory. Imagine yeah. that you've got a company which is like turning over, let's say, an attrition rate of even just 20% or even 15%, right? Just maybe just over healthy. During the COVID, we saw like 30%. Like, are you, are you kind of, are you suggesting it kind of leads to, like, how often do you come back to this question? Because it's also the culture. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems like, okay, that sounds great, but actually in, in practice, very, very hard to implement what, something what you're talking about, you say? You'd be surprised. I mean, part of the expectation conversation is you need to have it as you see elements of your culture that needs to change. So for example, when you have this conversation initially with your team, it could be a, could be a one hour meeting that you catch up and say, hey, can we have a really honest conversation about where we're at as a team right now and what are our expectations of one another? I mean, I did this conversation with a team recently and they said, we've worked here for five years and we've never once had a conversation about what we actually expect of one another on this team. And out of that, they went, okay, here's some themes that are really important to us as a team. Our themes are that we have good interpersonal relationships, that our team meetings feel collaborative and innovative, that we go to each other when we have problems rather than create this these back channels to kind of address conflict. And those were the things in their culture they wanted, but they weren't experiencing in that moment. It allowed them then to go, all right, now how do we actually start to shift some of those things that we don't like so we can become more like a team that we want to be a part of? Now, once that's done, the ongoing kind of shift and change happens over time. In six months' time, you might go, you know what? We're actually killing this. Our meetings are more innovative and collaborative than ever before. But we're noticing that we're this thing is creeping up in our culture where we're really struggling to get answers in emails within 24 hours. And we realized we never had a conversation about our expectations about emails. And so now we need to bring that conversation up again. Okay, really cool. So... All right, we'll come back to how do you stop it descending into <laughs> a whinge fest. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Let's go through to so, say, okay, so you've got the clarification conversation. Then you're then to the next next conversation is are we yeah communication. Back? So the clarification, I think, just add one last piece on that is is the whole purpose of the clarification conversation is to make what I would describe as the invisible observable, which is how do we take some of the things that seem really abstract? For example, let's pick an area like collaboration and let's think about a theme of collaboration. You go, all right, Michael, I want you to go to work tomorrow and be collaborative. But what's the first thing that you do? Like if you, if you had to answer that question, what's the first thing if you want to go to work tomorrow and be collaborative? Talk to my colleague and tell her what I'm doing and see if we can involve her in doing it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so that's absolutely collaborative. But I might say, well, to me to be collaborative, I'm going to set up a a team's chat and channel to be able to talk about some of our projects. We have two very different perspectives on what it looks like to be collaborative. And so clarification is all about us as a team agreeing, what are the three to four things that if we did these things consistently over the next three to six months would result in a shift towards the culture that we aspire to create? Wow. That's cool. That would be a game changer for a lot of organizations. Like even just those Initial steps, right? <laughs> Getting it out in the open, that transparency. Yeah, you know, I think that would probably be, if for some teams, really tricky to do as well. Having that, that safety to do that. Maybe it's also going to look different within the business as well. Because if you think about a bank, let's pick banking as, as an example. We might say, well, we've got a culture of flexibility, and it's an aspirational culture from the 
that's being led top down. And you go, well, great. Well, what does flexibility mean to someone who's working in IT versus someone who's working in a branch? So, well, maybe the person in IT, they can work from home because their whole job can be done remotely. But you might not say to that person who's working in the branch, well, you can just work from home because you're customer facing. And they might say, well, we don't have a culture of flexibility. I'm like, well, you do, but flexibility has to look different from team to team. But that requires a leader at the local level to say, what does flexibility actually mean to us as a team? Maybe for the branch teller, it's flexibility means flexibility and the ability to create new systems and processes or to innovate around the way that we kind of serve our customers. I think it's a, it's an ongoing issue, especially a hybrid working, right? And, and the onset of COVID, I think there's a lot of, I had a friend of mine, it was quite some time ago now, it was about a year ago. And I remember he's just finished a job. Yeah, I won't say where. Anyway, he just finished his job. I was like, what are you looking for next? And he said, anything to work from home. It was, that was his answer. <laughs> I was like, that's such a strange answer. But I think from someone who'd been stuck going into the office, he literally, you know, he now wanted the opposite. But, you know, he was just pulled to whatever was the was the opposite. And I thought that was a really interesting response. And that would suddenly become his, his top criteria. So, yes. Yeah. Um, and I guess that, are you seeing that more and more, given that these organizations... I think I spoke to an engineering CEO and he was like, you know, we used to just take culture for granted because we would build it as a byproduct of being in the office. And now it's like, oh, crikey, we don't see our teams anymore so much. And so how like, how do you see, is, is it a whole different ball game, or is it maybe even more important in this kind of hybrid world? Yeah, it's really important. So one of the elements of culture is that culture is learned. And if you think about an experience that you've had when you went into a team or an organization or even just an environment and you did something that was not their way of doing things and you didn't even have to say it explicitly or they didn't have to say it explicitly, you knew you did the wrong thing. Like I remember being like a teenage boy, my mum was a teacher's age, still is working at an Anglican school and she took me along to one of her parish services one time. I remember being a teenage boy and I let out a word that I should not have let out in a little Anglican church. But I got met by these eyes from people and I just looked around and went, oh, okay, so they don't do that here. And they never said a single word to me, but it was just that learned element. And you see that woven through teams, right? So when you're working from home, where do you get that? Well, you get that through Teams meetings or you get that through Zoom meetings. But then if you're not interacting with people on a day-to-day basis, you're not getting that. So you're getting it from your home or your family or the people you're around. And you're building a way of doing things that's not bumping into another person's way of doing things. And you can't build culture on your own. So in one sense, we're losing some of the learned characteristics by creating a, a group way of doing things. And in other ways, we we have to be more intentional about doing that. I mean, if, you, if I ask you the question, do you think culture, according to middle managers, was better or worse as a result of COVID? What would be your senses? Do you think they culture COVID helped or hurt people's culture? Oh. Across the gamut. Yeah. I reckon they would have said it's helped. Yeah. Two thirds said said culture helped culture. And I was curious as to why. And I've had a lot of pushback from people about the statistic. And I'm fine with that because <laughs> the research is the research. I'm not saying that it's my opinion and it may not be a perspective of a lot of people. But one of the things, the reasons why I think people said that based on my conversations I've had with people is number one, as a result of working from home during COVID, Managers needed to be a lot more explicit than they've ever been about their expectations for their team. They needed to say, hey, here's what I need from you. I need to see these results. I can't see you in person. So here's the outcomes rather than the output. And as a result of that, people went, oh, great. I've got a lot more trust and autonomy and freedom and the expectations are clearer. And the behaviors that were acceptable and unacceptable were made really explicit. So they said, if you're working from home, here's what we need to see and here's how that needs to look. And so as a result of that, people go, okay, 
I am clear on what the culture of working from home is and what it looks like. And I think that helps people. I think it would be probably the opposite, maybe, for those who've had their companies implement tracking software, et cetera, et cetera, where actually it's the epitome of like not trust. And yeah. now we're going to like, uh, yeah, watch you. I think, I, think that's, I think that's a really interesting thing, really tempting and like yeah. almost a logical move from many organizations. Go, of course, you want to monitor your team because that's what you <laughs> effectively you do that in the office. But what the message, the cultural message it sends outside of that is, is really brutal, actually. Yeah. Well, look at Netflix. So Netflix is touted as having one of the greatest cultures and they were known for their culture deck. And one of the things they talk about in their culture deck is this culture of freedom and responsibility. And the freedom and responsibility culture means that you have high freedom in your role as long as you have the responsibility that partners with that, which means that if you want to work from home, work from home. If you want to start at 10 o'clock in the morning, start at 10 o'clock in the morning. But you also have the responsibility of making sure that you deliver on the outcomes of your role. And so as long as you're delivering on the outcomes of your role, we're not going to kind of put a lot of tight freedom. Uh, you're not going to lose some of your freedoms. However, if you start to underperform, if you stop delivering on the outcomes of your role, you start to lose some of the freedoms that come with that. And we start to be a little bit more invested and interested in you and your role. And I think that's what a lot of people having to do. They're having to shift their focus from my job was to monitor your output, which is an old way of thinking to, I think what great leaders are doing now is my job is to make sure that you're responsible for the outcomes of your role. And as long as you deliver the outcomes, I'm going to empower you and give you the freedom to be able to deliver on those outcomes. Awesome. And one of the conversations which stood out to me is actually around confrontation and how do you deliver confrontation? I think it's Ray Dalio's book, Principles. One of the things he talks about is that kind of like, I forget, I think it's got a great term for it, but it's something like basically it's uh, that willingness to be disruptive in the organization and be and to, and to offer harsh feedback because ultimately in his game of betting on the effectively the stock market, it requires a high level of contrarian thinking. So it makes a lot of sense in that culture, but contrasting, we've picked on education that stayed there for a bit, <laughs> you know, being highly contrarian in that you know, and calling out the principle or whatever like that may not be so congruent or kind of, um, yeah, or suitable. So what, how, how do you think about confrontation in the workplace? What are you, what are you seeing as like, how do you navigate that? Yeah. Confrontation is hard if you've never made an explicit clear. So if you've never told people, this is what's expected of you to then confront them when they get it wrong is actually a really difficult conversation because you have to do both things at the same time. If we've, as a team, have collectively agreed that this is the, the aspiration that we have and this is what that looks like in practice, then when any single person on the team steps outside of that, the confrontation conversation actually becomes quite easy because it's not, hey, you did this. It's, hey, we agreed to this and that's not happening. And so I think it makes it, it doesn't make it easy. It makes it less difficult <laughs> in terms of the conversation. And I would suggest that the hallmark and the success factor of cultural feedback, meaning that you give feedback that helps build the culture that you want, is not a leader's ability to give hard feedback to their team and not even a team member's ability to give hard feedback to a team leader. I reckon the real measure of success is when a team member can give hard feedback to a team leader of a different team because there's, there's a real challenge of being able to go, hey, I saw the way that's a lot aligned to the culture that we as an organization said we were trying to build. And I reckon that's tough. Yeah, oh, I agree. I think it's, um, yeah, it's it's really tricky that part, isn't it? It's really tricky to navigate, I think, especially from an HR lens as well. I remember I um, had a conversation once and, and in sales, you often talk about tonality, right? In terms of how you sound, how you come across. I'm not saying that that's how you are, but that's just how you can come across or sound over the phone as an example. I remember when I, you know, shared some of that feedback to someone who's never worked in sales. They were like, 
they they took it completely the other way. They were like, oh my God, I can't believe you've commented on my tone. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> Whereas sales, you know, it's, it's basically, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's just part of how you communicate. So anyway, I was really taken aback by that. So was the lady. And I was like, oh my God, like I've never, I hadn't thought about that in a different context around how that might show up for people. So yeah, I think it is a really tricky, uh, it's a tricky thing to deliver. How do you build a culture where you can effectively comment to another team leader, say? Yeah. I mean, if you think about the example you just gave around tone, the the challenge, the reason why it's confronting for a person is because their expectations misaligned. And most of our frustration at work has come is comes, you could trace it back to a misalignment of expectations. So if you go, okay, well, what are our expectations about how we deliver feedback to one another, about how we confront one another? And you might say, well, for example, I worked with an organization where they say, we want to have a curious, not judgmental tone in the way that we deliver feedback. And that language, and we kind of skimmed over it, you said before, that communication conversation, and that's all about creating day-to-day language that helps people talk about culture in a way that feels natural to them. So let's take that phrase, we want to be curious, not judgmental in our tone. When you have to deliver a hard piece of feedback to someone, it's not saying, hey, I don't like the way that you gave me that feedback. That's kind of like, it seems personal and it feels more subjective to that person. But when you say, hey, can I make an observation about the way you delivered that feedback? One of the things that we said as a team we wanted to do was create feedback that felt curious and not judgmental. And the way and the language that you used in that feedback made it come across as judgmental rather than curious. And I would love to know what you think about that. Immediately opens up a conversation rather than saying, hey, I don't like the way that you did something. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, really tricky to do when you've got a lot yeah. of other things on your plate, isn't it? And I think that's that's the, that's the thing when yeah. I've, I've been in a middle manager executive role. Yeah, it's like um, you try so hard, but often you're moving at such pace and you've often yeah. got pressure from elsewhere. And sometimes yeah. the, that can be really, uh, they can sometimes steamroll your delivery capabilities, can't it? So. You do wonder if it's worth it as well. You will sit there and go, is it really worth it to pull this up? And there's a great quote, quote I th- I'm going to get the names wrong. I think it's Steve Brunet and Todd Whitaker. They have this phrase, which is the culture of any organization is determined by the worst behavior that the leader is willing to tolerate. Mm-hmm. And it, it feels hard. It feels tough. But the best thing that you can do is take 30 seconds to confront a cultural misalignment. Because if you don't, by not confronting something, you actually say, yeah, this is okay. This is part of our culture here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. All right, well, let's move on to the last bit. Celebration. Um, yeah, probably a good way to end. <laughs> probably a good way to end, yeah. And people probably enjoy talking about this one. Let's just skip to that one. <laughs> so, yeah. It's recognition. Recognition. Okay, cool. So, yeah, yeah share a bit. Yeah. Why, why is that so important for, for building it? Yeah, I think we're really good and we're really specific about addressing cultural misalignment, but we're not as good in being intentional about how we celebrate cultural alignment and the people, the things that people do really well. One of the things that we often is this is phrased as no news is good news. And the research tells us that no news is actually very bad news for employees. People would rather hear what they're doing wrong than hear nothing at all, because at least they know where they stand. However, employees need both recognition and those confronting conversations. You can't have one without the other. I would say if you have all confronting conversation, you end up with really depressed people. And you can tell by the tone of the the team, it feels down, it feels defeated, it feels deflated. You can't have recognition without confrontation because you end up with a whole lot of deluded people. They're sitting there going like, I'm so good, I can't do anything wrong. But if you balance them right and you get them both well, 
you you teach people, hey, this is what we love to see more of, and this is what we'd love to see less of, and we do that through recognition, and we do that through confrontation. I love the balance piece. I don't, I haven't heard that before, but it's a really it's a really great point it's because yeah. I think if it's too celebratory, no company certainly eats well on that because they're trying to create a positive environment. You're right. Just ends up people just go, oh man, this is you know they don't really notice or they don't really care or hey maybe I can just get away with this whatever. Mm. And, that really, really cool. So just tell me, you're, you've written this for middle managers. What would be your best advice to a middle manager who's there right now? You know, got a small, got maybe they've got, they got 10 direct reports, something like that, maybe, and they've got teams underneath them. What is your kind of top tip to them in terms of how to navigate culture other than just buy the book? Try to get that. <laughs> no, I would say as a starting point, if you do nothing else with your team from this conversation, if you just carve out 30 to 40 minutes with your team at some point and you sit down as a team and say, hey, as a leader of your team and with one another, I'm genuinely curious and would love to know, what do we expect of one another on the team here? And you say, what do I expect of you? What do you expect of me? What do you expect of each other? And then just allow that conversation to sit and listen and be curious and ask questions and explore that. If you do nothing else other than that, your team will very much feel like, oh, my leader cares about the culture on our team. They may not say it as culture, but they'll say, oh, my, my leader genuinely cares about what I think and about how we could work together better. And you will learn so much from that experience and it'll give you some ideas and clues as to where to go next. Perfect, Shane. That's awesome. Well, look, I think it's a great place to leave this discussion. Thank you so much for joining us, Shane. It's a pleasure to chat with you. Your book, Let's Talk About Culture, is available now. We'll put a link in the description below. Really appreciate you putting all the hard yards in to do that research. I think that's a real missing piece around what, as you say, really unquantifiable, very touchy-feely, yeah, like mythological kind of status, isn't it, culture? Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. No, my absolute pleasure. Thanks, Shane.